The heat is on at Euro 2020. We are at that stage where some teams have confirmed their extension in the tournament and now going into the last round of games, it promises to be even more electrifying. I'm Aridman alongside Chiro and this time we have in our presence Odej Jala. We have to begin with Group F. It's the group of depth and it has lived up to its billing. France, Portugal, Germany, Hungary, it's all wide open. Not only can all of these sides go through, but any of these sides can finish second and directly qualify. Even Hungary. Jala, it's the perfect script for the final match day. Right off Germany at your own peril. Everybody was so quick after that first game to say they're slow, they're plodding, they don't uh, have the defense to keep up with the uh, players like Mbappe and Cristiano and they won't even get out of their group. People are very quick to write them off. I've been a huge Germany fan since the 90s. Lothar Matthias was my first big international uh, Germany fan that I actually jumped on board with that team. But I'll tell you something, man. This team is well drilled. They have some exciting talent up front. Yes, the defense may not be what it used to be. But did you see that performance of Robin Goosens? That's probably one of the best individual performances of the group so far. So I think Group F is very finely poised. The other thing I will sort of talk about in the France-Hungary um, game, and this is where Chiro might find this slightly controversial, is I saw signs, and nobody might believe this until they see it with their own eyes, that N'Golo Kante was slightly tiring towards the end of that match. Has he played too much football? I saw a few lazy challenges. You never see that from N'Golo Kante ever. But if that aspect of it is slightly on the tired, lazy side, then France could face a little bit of trouble. For me, I think Germany is the team to watch from Group F. I agree with you. I think N'Golo is definitely tired. Also, it must uh, suck for him to play alongside Pogba and do all the work. No, He has to do everything for Paul Pogba. And that's the truth, man. That's the truth. N'Golo is playing actually for three people. At least when he has... I mean, he has a similar problem at Chelsea. Jorginho doesn't do much either. In this case, I just think Pogba does leaves his space vacant so many times when he's sort of charging up and, you know, making those passes. I wouldn't be surprised if N'Golo's tired. Honestly, man, I'll be happy if France get out. I don't like the French team. I've never liked the French team. I despise the French team. And, uh, yeah, man, Germany were very good. Robin Gossens is a player. Chelsea were linked with last year at some point. I wish they would have signed him. He's so good. So, so good. Uh, my only grouse is, uh, I don't know where Turbo Timo is, man, but why is Timo Werner not playing? I know everybody's laughing at him and he has the, ha, that under, has under this impression that he's not had a good season. But my God, Timo Werner gives a lot when he plays for that team. That direct running behind the defenders is very important. I think he will have a part to play uh, going ahead uh, in, the tourney, uh, in the tournament. And Germany, I think, will definitely go through. And, I, and I'm going to make a prediction, Portugal will beat France. You know what, that's my prediction as well. But uh, how does Timo Werner come in the picture? Didn't they, they score four goals without him? I mean, why does Chelsea Football Club always come into this? Why not? We're European champions. <laughs> the best team in, in club team in the world, man. Come on. No, but who who's he? Who are you dropping? I can see that how Timo doesn't start, but I think he should definitely get a get a run in at some point or the other. As much as I like Kai Havertz, maybe Timo Werner up up top against a team that sort of defends with a low block might be a might be a great option. Just running behind. That's a that's a good point, but then people will argue that Leroy Sane maybe brings even more in terms of pace and terrifying defenders and putting them on the back foot. So if you had a choice and it was Sane or Werner on the bench, who would you turn to? 
And so far, it looks like he's been going to Sane. You know, what's also interesting is that uh, once again, Kimmich was playing out on the on the right, on the wide right, not as a holding mid. And maybe because, of course, Goretzka wasn't fully fit. I wonder if he was, where would, where would Kimmich play? Because then the question would be with Cruz or Gundogan. And by the way, Gundogan looked uh, a spent force in the first game. So it all worked out uh, in that game against uh, Portugal. But Chala was mentioning about Gosens. Full marks to him, the man uh, from Atalanta plays at uh, left wing back. He's made life miserable for Portugal. I mean, there was all these signs when he scored that goal and was given offside. And he's played a part basically in all the goals. Two terrific crosses that led to a goal. Uh, one put in by, yes, Chiro, your Chelsea man, Kai Havertz. A super header as well. And uh, I won't be surprised if some big clubs uh, come knocking on the door. He wants to go back to Germany and play in the Bundesliga, by the way. And he was subbed off with half an hour to go. Imagine if he played the full game. What would the scoreline be? Uh, I think he had some extra motivation. I was reading some article apparently a couple of years back when Atalanta were playing uh, Juventus. He went and asked Ronaldo for his shirt and Ronaldo apparently said, no, flat. And he said, I, I was very embarrassed. And, and he's put that quote out saying, I was very, very embarrassed. So, something to prove, yeah. And he's done it. I can assure you this time he didn't go and uh, ask for a shirt. <laughs> but the fact is that this group is wide open because the world champions didn't win their match against Hungary. Hungary ranked 37th in the world and they don't even have their best player Dominic Shuzhabalai and even their captain Adam Shuzhabalai uh, went off with, because of an injury. And you know, as the game went on, I feared for the Hungarians that it might be a repeat of that game against Portugal where they caved in in the last 10 minutes and gave away those three goals. But no, I guess having a full house of supporters really does make a big difference. And France had their moments with Benzema, Mbappe and Dembele. All came close. But the grit, determination, stamina in the heat of Budapest all came good for Hungary. It shows what a capacity stadium can do as well. You see the atmosphere in that stadium. Oh man, those Hungarians felt it. The way they celebrated that goal. How much have we missed that over the last year and a half? Oh my God. It just felt like all the passions are. You finally had a crowd to run to. He was running through the commentator, scared the living daylights out of her. But that's what we want to see in football, man. And uh, what are the big tournaments like the Euros and World Cup all about? You want to see these underdogs, uh, you know, putting one over the more fancy teams. And when I say fancy teams, France is right up there as like the number one team in the world. I'll, I'll let you in on a secret that I put in a sneaky little bet, as you said, Aridman that uh, Giroud would pop up with a 90-second minute winner once he was on and there was a corner coming in. I was like, oh, you're right. I think there's going to be a heartbreaker out here. I just don't get Usman Dembele. I don't know how many chances he needs to finish off opportunities. What does he bring to the team that somebody else might not? I mean, th that guy is a waste of space for me. I find him very un frustrating and very annoying to sort of, you know, watch. And I'm sure as a French fan, it could get uh, mind-numbing after a point watching him play. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It, it fluctuates with me as well. And I think the most frustrating thing about him is the inconsistency. Because when you see him put it together, man, the guy's unplayable. But he just doesn't do it enough. I don't know if it's a work ethic. I know he's got a addiction to FIFA, doesn't he? he plays yeah, FIFA, <laughs> FIFA like, 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day or something. <laughs> That might be something to do with it. I think the only other option, uh, instead of Dembele, by the way, he did hit the post, was uh, Kingsley Coman. But uh, I don't think he was in the max squad uh, for, for that game. He's in he's in the 26, but he didn't make uh, the 23 that you need to name for the for the match. Kingsley Coman, for me, would be the ideal replacement. And generally a better player. Somebody who's played with a team that's won a lot over the last year, uh, four or five years. Probably a more mature player like that. I mean, he scored the, scored the winning goal in a Champions League final, so... He's, he's been done at the biggest stage. We now come down to 
a prediction. What's going to happen in that France-Portugal? You know, you said that uh, Portugal is going to win. I think the same. I think, of course, they're going to sit back again. That's what uh, the coach Santos does. And because Group F, of course, play the games right at the death, you would know whether how many third-place teams are already qualified. So Portugal will know that, okay, we don't have to go for it. We don't have to play Chao Felix straight away. We can we can defend and play a normal game and, and play on the counter. And that's the advantage uh, Portugal have. But I think Chao Felix is a miss. Although Diego Jota is doing quite a good job. Uh... I, I do like Diego Jota as much as I grudgingly have to admit. But I think Portugal will go through. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to keep my bias out of it because I'm slightly anti-Portugal. Um, I just have... I'm not a Cristiano fan for many years and I hate... I, I dislike... Wait, but don't but don't you want to settle down in Portugal? I love Portugal, the country. My favourite country in all of Europe. Man, Lisbon is my favourite place. So it is... Yeah, it's quite a contradiction. But... Um, Okay, prediction, prediction. I will say France will edge this. But you know what? Another group that is wide open is Group E. And nobody thought that's going to be the case. Again, all four teams can qualify thanks to the fact that Spain haven't won any of the two games. You know, Murata did start this game and scored as well. Gerard Moreno also started, won the penalty and missed it. I know you're going to say that Murata missed the, uh, missed the rebound. I know you're going to say that now. Yeah, Moreno got the assist as well. And I think I, uh, Jhala and I were talking earlier and I think the point he make, makes complete sense. This tiki-taka football doesn't work in a tournament setup. It's boring. It's, it's uh, I mean, people can figure you out. And it's just three games, right? In a longer sort of league format, this might just pay richer dividends. But in a, in a tournament, you have to be flexible. And I see a lot of inflexibility in the Spanish squad. So uh, I'm not surprised uh, that uh, Poland actually got the equalizer. They look good. To get an equalizer before the uh, before they got their equalizer with that incredible shot, that left-footed shot that hit off the, came off the bar, and then Lewandowski slammed it straight back at the keeper. But yeah, I think I, I actually expected a lot more out of uh, out of Spain, and I'm a little bit bewildered with their team choices. Um, I don't see why uh, Thiago Alcantara Alca- 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 is not getting a game um, at right back. Maybe it's better to have a natural right back in Cesar Azpilicueta playing. As opposed to having uh, Laurent, you know, Laurent running up and down, I am, it's all a bit disjointed to me. It's all a bit muddled. Uh, even though he's a very young boy, they probably do miss Ansu Fati at this point. As yeah, well. he brings yeah. a lot to that squad. Um, you know, I've got a very close Spanish friend, and we're in a WhatsApp group, and we discuss these things. And he is fiercely defensive about uh, Morata as well. So they really do. Uh, even though you will see him getting booed a lot and getting a lot of criticism. He's saying Morata is one of our most physical players up front. And I almost laughed because I was like, I never, I mean, Morata seems like a pretty boy to me. He doesn't seem like a physical player. He's not Diego Costa, is he? He's not Diego Costa. That's what Spain needs. They need that little bit of bite. They need some fight to it. But Spain's just looking bland to me at the moment. And that's kind of what worries me. By the way, on that goal, Lewandowski with that head up, there was a little nudge on Laporte. I just wonder, if Spain had uh, their former captain, Sergio Ramos, how would his reaction be? He would have gone down, tumbled, rolling over his face, tried crying, been in agony. Whatever it takes to get a foul and make the team win, I'm all for it. Do they miss uh, Ramos? Of course they do. Of course they do. They miss his leadership. Yeah, he brings a lot more than just his play. Even I will sort of begrudgingly say that leadership, getting the, you know, that's keeps kind of missing from Spain. Who is their uh, leaders in that locker room right now? 
who are the ones like really dragging them by their collars and saying, let's fight for this flag. I mean, I don't really see who's taking up that mantle. Yeah, which is why I think somebody like an Aspie would be great because he's 100% all the time, 24 hours a day. And that he has that leadership. He drives teams forward. He does that for Chelsea. I'm very surprised that he hasn't played a single game. I think it'd be handy. And, and from that group of uh, Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi, like, you know, the people who are making things happen, the only one actually you see with that personality and trying to have some sort of leadership is Jordi Alba. He's the only one sort of left from that generation, as it were. Question for both of you. You said Ansu Fati, uh, Jhana. Adama Traore, does he, why doesn't he get a game? X-Factor. He's an X-Factor for me the same way Usman Dembele is. You don't really know what you're getting with Adama Traore. Yeah. Um, but off the bench, 100%, man. Just the fact that he can run at people, it takes like an army to bring him down, 100% is worth um, yeah, giving a, giving a run out. Especially when you need to break down a team when, the, when you're level with 20 minutes to go, then why not? I also think Traore would be more effective if uh, the opposition is chasing the game. If you have blocks of 4-4, then where does Traore have the space? Uh, and in the style of Enrique, it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really bank on him that much. I think they're carrying on creating the chances. The deal here is that in both the games, they've created chances. Yes, they haven't been taken. But if they were taken by Morata or that penalty was converted by Moreno, we won't really be having this conversation. I think they once again carry on having the chances against Slovakia. And here's my deal. Slovakia don't have the quality. They don't have a Lewandowski up front. They play with Hamšík and um, Duda up front with, with Mac on the left. Slovakia might get an odd chance. They won't convert. Spain will. They go through. Okay, so Ridwan, what you're saying is you feel that their position in the table right now is a slightly false position and they're actually playing better than what their record suggests. Absolutely. Yes, it's, I know that there's a lot of stick on, on uh, Alvaro Morata, but he did score and I think he'll come good in the next game uh, as well. Now, Enrique, his tie will remain the same. But if it's nil going in the second half against Slovakia, by the way, who only need a point? So Slovakia only need a point to, to go through. Then it becomes very interesting going to the last 45 minutes. On the other hand, just quickly, I do believe Sweden will uh, beat uh, Poland. I think uh, Alex Isak will break through with his magic. Kulisevsky, the man from Juventus, he's missed out so far because of being positive for COVID. He will play and be decisive as well. I do think even Isaac might be in for a big money move from Real Sociedad with his uh, style. He did play for uh, Dortmund early on in his career. And normally when you play for Dortmund, you're, you, you're some deal. No, I think he's been the best young player so far uh, in on view for me. There's something about him that I really like. Okay, so I have a serious, serious question. By what logic are England even considered one of the top two, three favourite teams to win the Euros? Is it because the semis in the final are in London? But you got to win first to get there, right? No, the logic is that the English media hypes, likes to hype up their team. And there's enough, enough and more articles about England being the favourite. I was so fried watching that game. So fried watching that game. Uh, I watched it with my father, which wasn't a good thing to do because he kept laughing and laughing and laughing. He was mocking Raheem Sterling. At one point in Bengali, he went and said that Raheem Sterling wouldn't make, wouldn't make the Khidirpur is starting 11. He was so angry. He's like, who are these players? Why are they playing football? They don't know anything. I was like, dude, no. My dad's hilarious, right? So he watches this portion where he's watching Declan Rice and, and Calvin Phillips. And I've really talked up Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. And he was so disgusted. He walked out of the room. He's like, dude, I, if you're asking me to watch these two boys play, no. 
Okay, I, I slightly disagree with both of you guys. Both of you guys have uh, correct points in the sense that, yes, the fact that it's semifinals and finals at uh, Wembley is a factor. Media hype, no doubt. No, no country hypes up their team as much as England does. But I actually do feel like they have some footballing merits as well. You give Carlo Ancelotti this team, he will take it places. But they've got someone in charge who thinks he's an extra in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah. Takes himself so damn seriously and thinks he is some sort of chess <laughs> grandmaster magician uh. when actually he has very little idea of what he's doing. Yeah. I think that time when, uh, what is it, uh, Euro 96, when he stepped up to take a penalty and missed it, he's as clueless as he was from that tournament as he is now. I mean, some of the decision-making and some of the players he's left on the bench is just ridiculous. It is such a staid... Oh, man, they are such an exciting team if you put the right manager in front of them. So, to answer your question, I think there's validity in the reasoning why they could be favourites, but there's no chance they will get anywhere under current management. Look at the people on the bench. Jack Grealish, Jadon Sancho. Jadon Sancho wasn't in the first matchday squad. How is Jadon Sancho not in the first matchday squad? You've got your captain who's struggling, who's clearly struggling. Sterling and Kane both are struggling. Take them off. Why are you taking Phil Foden off? He can do something. Get Foden, Grealish, Sancho, get them all playing in one team. I'll tell you one thing about Southgate. Now, he's got all this pressure now after the last game. So one of two things will happen. Either he'll give in to the media pressure and start people like Sancho and Grealish. Or he will be stubborn and arrogant and be like, no, no, if I give in, it'll show me as... Uh, compromising on my principles, so therefore I should stick to it. Either way, whatever decision he makes, we will still be questioning it because of the man he is. If it was anybody else making that decision, you would be like, it was done for the right reasons. Now, whatever decision he makes, you're going to think it's done for the wrong uh, wrong uh, reason. Even if it was Fabio Capello? <laughs> yeah. Or even uh, Sven Joran Eriksson. They've had a few interesting ones over the years. Okay, I understand it's a group game versus Scotland. It's not a must-win, but as you guys said, whatever I saw, there was a lack of identity. There was a lot more at stake for the Scots than for England. Um, and the moment that I loved was at the death. Scott McTominay lying on the deck, trying his best to shield the ball, trying not to accidentally touch it with his hand and give a, a handball. There's helter-skelter in the box. You can't figure what's happening until finally someone has cleared the ball. It was like rugby, like, like, like a scrub. And you, know, you said that Scotland would be your surprise in the Euros. And uh, here they are. They've picked up that point. And, and who knows what happens in that uh, last game against Croatia. But by the way, coming back to England, I think it's, it's doomed for them either ways. If they finish first, they get to play somebody from Group F, which is Germany, Portugal, Hungary, albeit at Wembley. If they finish second, Spain might finish second as well, and they get to play Spain. So either way, they're doomed, or England. I think England have enough to beat the Spanish side. But yeah, if they, if they run up against Germany, Portugal, yeah. Portugal not so much, but yeah, if they run up against Germany, they'll definitely get uh, walloped. I think they'll lose to all three. And they'd have a tough time to, against Hungary if Hungary came through. <laughs> <laughs> Not that bad, dude. Not that bad. I was seeing the Croatia game against the Czechs and they seemed confused without a traditional number nine. They were struggling without a Mandzukic, who of course is retired. Drebic doesn't do the trick up front. He plays on the left, or he prefers to play on the left. And interestingly and surprisingly, Perisic was playing on the right against the Czechs. As soon as the second half begins, he comes on the left and scores a goal, albeit from his right foot. So here's the deal. Scotland versus Croatia in Glasgow. Who wins? Croatia. Croatia. 
brilliant. I thought Tyrrell would go for Scotland. I would love for them to go through, but uh, and, and I'd love for Billy to have a great game. But I think Croatia will have too much. And I think Croatia was robbed a bit. I mean, what was that penalty? It's just a bias against Dejan Lovren. Everybody hates him for some reason. <laughs> the people who are listening to this can't see the action that Aridman made. He made an elbow swiping action. Daniel De Rossi style. But I mean, you tell me, tell me how you jump for a header and not use your arms in that sense. I, I full on agree. I full on agree. Just because Sheikh was bleeding, that's because the referee had to stop. Once you look at the replay, it's in slow motion. You have to give a foul. It's a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty either, but just to carry on shit, he's bleeding all right. He should go off the field, but no, he wants to take the penalty. And, and the blood is coming down through his nose, yet he goes on and converts a penalty, mind you, and then he celebrates. Yeah, how does that work though? Don't you, isn't there a rule where you have to go off, change your shirt, come back? How, did that, how does the referee let that go as well? I don't think the blood had come on his shirt. And Chiro, I don't know if rules apply to this game anymore. I think in the last couple of years, I don't even understand what is a rule. <laughs> However, Jay, I will say that VAR, at least in this tournament, has been used a little more practically better than we've seen, than we've seen it in the... Faster, yeah, yeah. They've made decisions much quicker for sure. Okay, a game that really stood for me was between Denmark and Belgium. What an amazing and thriller of a match. You know, one wonder what shape would the Danes be in, of course, with that horrible incident to Christian Eriksen. And you thought perhaps the campaign would be derailed, but that was never the case. In the opening 100 seconds, Olsen scores and that sets the tone for a high-octane match. And you just felt a little sad for the Danes in the end that they came back with nothing in this game. Look, man, I think the first half, they, the Danes ran on pure energy. It was, yes, that they, uh, the Danish team was playing well, but the first goal was the work of, uh, the first Belgian goal was a work of beauty. What a beautiful team goal, man. What an amazingly beautiful, craft, beautifully crafted team goal. And from then on, the moment Eden Hazard came on, I think also things just started changing. And you saw the extra quality and you knew somehow or the other that, you know, Belgium will just get their second goal. And the second one also beautiful finish from Kevin De Bruyne. You got a feel for the Deans, but I think they played very well for the first 35 to 40 minutes. Is the theme of this podcast for Chiro to always bring it back to some either Chelsea or former Chelsea player? I didn't say anything about Chelsea. You said about Hazard, about Gilmore. It's always been connected to some Chelsea player. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but, but Hazard is the man. No, that's why. He's a fat man these days. He's a fat. No, he was very good. Uh, second half team. I think Martinez has the tools to play with. I mean, you mentioned the second half was completely changed for the Belgians because Mertens wasn't working. Kaya, the captain of AC Milan and Denmark, uh, had uh, Lukaku under wraps. So Mertens goes off. De Bruyne is is fit now, and he comes on. He plays in the centre. Lukaku was a little wide, and the quality counts. You mentioned that both the goals were absolutely beautiful goals by Belgium and absolute teamwork. And Lukaku makes it happen with his. Physicality, by the way, Kaya slipped in that first goal and that's how Lukaku go through. But here's the deal. Belgium are number one in the world for a reason, right? I mean, I know rankings really don't go a long way as far as tournament football is concerned, but they have the tools. But again, full marks to the Danes because they pushed Belgium out of the depth in the last 15 minutes. And from a neutral perspective, we just wanted them to get at least a point. But you think that they are good enough to beat Russia and that game is at Copenhagen, not at St. Petersburg. They could move on three points. Surely, Finland is not beating Belgium. So then all those three teams are on 3-3-3. And I think Denmark edge it because of uh, goal difference. You don't see Belgian, uh, Belgium resting a number of their first team players and maybe opening the door for Finland? Probably not. I agree with you. Even if they do, I don't think Finland's got enough quality to uh, win. Okay, I have witnessed a miracle. I don't know about you guys. I have seen Italy winning 3-0 not once, but twice in tournament football. That to back to back. 
Surely this can't happen against Wales. Of course, by the time this podcast is out, that game probably would be over. And Wales is a team I don't really uh, rank that high. In fact, I thought they'd be catching the first flight at home, but they're almost uh, true. I have to really uh, give a thumbs up to the grit and determination and the spirit that they showed in that game against uh, Turkey. But Italy, for me, I'm in dreamland. I will not burst your bubble too much, but from whatever tournament football I remember, peaking too early is not the best sign for a tournament length of football. Sometimes if you're winning 3-0 those first two games, you struggle once you get... You know, I've seen that very often, that the teams that kind of scratch and fight their way through their group are the ones that actually start peaking towards the semifinals. So, um, I mean, that's not following any science. To be honest, Italy's looking by far out of all the teams the strongest in the competition at the moment. They're looking good from top to bottom. They're scoring goals. They're defending like animals. They've got like ancient dinosaurs playing in their uh, in their back four. How are they pulling this off? How are they managing to keep all these attackers at bay? But full credit, man. Italy is looking fantastic right now. I'm really actually enjoying watching Italy. This is a very fluid team to watch. I actually really like uh, these two boys, Berardi and Locatelli. Locatelli looks like some player. Chiro's not a fan of Chiro. I like Chiro. Immobile. His last name is how I play my football. I am I am immobile. <laughs> but you know, you guys keep talking about Murata and his misses. It's in a way similar for Chiro Immobile, just that perhaps the pressure is a little less. I wouldn't say he's 100% clinical, but the fact that he's playing at home at Stadio Olimpico, which is home for Lazio, that really helps uh, as well. But yes, he has managed to score in both the games. But here's the deal. The backup, Pelotti, is not quite up there. Although he is expected to start against Wales. Um, also, there's no Giorgio Chiellini. You mentioned the dinosaur, of course, the grandfather of Italian football. He's 36 now. Uh, but still, he's right, right up there as the best. I hope he's back for the knockout game, which starts in a week's time. And Virati should be fit enough as well to play some part in this game against uh, Wales. And here's the interesting part. And a conundrum ready for, for Mancini going into the knockout, if not this game at least, is that Virati was a short shot starter. Because he doesn't start, Locatelli gets his chance. He scored two goals. He's impressed. Brella, you can't drop. Jorginho is doing reasonably fine. So when Virati's absolutely fully fit, next one, the knockout, who does Mancini? Jorginho. Mancini leaves out Jorginho. Virati is a better player than Jorginho. There you go. What? He's a Chelsea player. I thought you were going to support him. Do you know? <laughs> one special mention, uh, I think, rivaling Robin Goosens for left-back of the tournament is probably Spinazzola. He's had a, he's had a great couple of games as well. He's always looking to take his guy on and make something happen. I think UEFA did uh, did come up with a document a couple of days back saying that uh, up until this stage, who's 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 had the maximum speed in running, and Spinamazola surprisingly was leading. I don't know how much it was, but he was right up there. Charla mentioned earlier. I mean, I don't want to be in this dream man because for me, Italy means oh, you just get one draw here, one loss here, and you somehow sneak through the back door. I mean, this is Italy who's lost to Sweden, South Korea, Slovakia, New Zealand. I've seen all this, right? Uh, watching Italy over the years. Suddenly, 3-0, 3-0. I'm like, what's going on? Something's not right. I mean, you might just lose to Ukraine going into the next uh, round. I remember watching the South Korea game with you. You were not happy. If anyone could see the look on his face right now. <laughs> I still want to catch that referee from, from Ecuador who officiated that game between Italy and South Korea and gave Francesco Totti a red card where it wasn't a red card. By the way, that guy... That guy was put in prison in Ecuador for uh, money laundering or doing drugs or, or kidnapping or something of that sort. <laughs> it's a fact, I'm not joking. No. Only Gulati could have followed up about the referee's career. What happened after he fucked over Italy? <laughs> okay, 
there's one team that has just gone under the radar. The team's already qualified, of course. They won both their matches, and that is the Netherlands. Whether it's a back three or a back five, whatever it is, they've got the job done. And Denzel Dumfries has played a part in all the goals that the Netherlands have scored so far. Is there a big money move for, for him on the horizon? Likely. I mean, out of the Euros, you get one or two players who do well who get big money moves. But yeah, he's been uh, he's been pretty solid. The best uh, Dutch player for this for me the entire tournament is. Somebody who Jhala will miss dearly is uh, Gini Wijnaldum. I think he's been outstanding, man. He's so good. Makes that team take drives them forward. And uh, yeah, you're you're gonna miss that, Mr. Jhala, when when he's not gonna be at Liverpool. He was my player of of the season this last uh, uh, season that we just had, and he's just always fit, always kind of dominant in that midfield. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, very important player for Netherlands. My only concern was that little spell against Ukraine. Did that show some sort of weaknesses and some sort of, you know, to go 2-0 up and then let the, let the team come back quite easily. It wasn't like, you know, that Ukraine had to do anything special. So that's the, the only slight worrying sign for the Netherlands. Oh, they by the way, they also have my actual favorite player of the entire tournament, which is Frankie de Jong. He is just another class, man. I love that guy. So it's fair to say that we don't expect uh, an upset with North Macedonia. The Netherlands will get nine points, top the group. I think they're going to have an easy, easy draw as far as the knockouts are concerned, and, and they might not get a heavyweight until, say, the semi-final. Okay, what's the most memorable moment of match day two for you guys? I think the most memorable moment is uh, just the after the goal from Hungary. I think what Jhala mentioned earlier. That is the that will stand out for me. Just being able to celebrate with a full. With a full stadium, there's you no know, score. You see the you, the roar. Everything just sort of fell in place together. Things that we've dearly, dearly missed over the last year, year and a half. Just to carry on that goal from uh, Fiola, as, as you mentioned, with on a, a full house, you know, about 60,000 there uh, at the Pushkar Stadium in Budapest. He runs, goes to the corner, and Jala mentioned this earlier as well uh, at the top of the show. He jumps over the queue manager, and you have the MC or the reporter there with, with the microphone sitting at the table, and she's looking and doing something else. I don't know why. And he jumps there, he bangs his hands, I think, on, on the table. A few things drop and he's like, what are you doing? Did you see that goal? And, and her reaction was, was the best. She's, she's like, little scared. <gasps> so, <laughs> I think, that, as you mentioned, because you have a full house as well, the adrenaline pump that comes in, that's what we've been missing all this while for the last year or so. Okay, then we've covered as much as we can in the time we have. Uh, and that is pretty much a wrap. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your time. And let's all carry on and have a good and terrific Euros. And let's see who actually does qualify. More importantly, be safe and take care.